At this time, the Sprouts can be dismissed. Kids, kindergarten and younger, can go with Crystal and Christy. Let's give our Sprouts workers a round of applause for their work with our children each week. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, one quick uh, sort of pastoral word. Uh, our, as many of you know, we have um, installed elders into the church, uh, which is a plurality of pastors. And so I'm no longer the only pastor in this church. We have three others, uh, Paul, Brandon, and John. Uh, and we are going to be meeting roughly once every two to three weeks. Uh, this week we will be meeting, and uh, chances are you will be talked about. And so if there's anything that you would like us to know about, uh, prayer updates in your life, things that you would just, things that, that we would be concerned about, if you could just shoot us an email, we would love to hear from you uh, before our meeting. And th- that's just kind of an ongoing open uh, request uh, that, that um, I would like to share with you guys. Turning your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Follow along as I read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, our God in heaven, we come before you as your children who have been bought with a price. We have been adopted into your family, and as adoption costs in this earthly world for us to adopt children, how much more it costs you to adopt us as your children, we who are broken and sinful and can only come into your family if we are perfect. God, the, 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 the cost that you laid down was your very own son, his perfection, On our behalf, the life that he lived, he lived for us. The death that he died, he died in our place. And so we then, through his death and through his resurrection, are reconciled and justified. We are made right. We are made holy. We are made perfect. And we are then adopted as your sons and daughters. We thank you for that wonderful gift. God, what we have here before us is truth. This is your truth. It's unvarnished truth. And we want... Uh, we want you to speak to us through this. We, we're regular, regularly um, amazed at how relevant this word is for our lives and how real it is. Uh, we, this world that we live in uh, certainly has placed money and the things that money can buy on the pedestal, on the altar, And we are tempted every day of our life to bow down to that altar and to worship and serve money. God, this is our life right here in many ways. So much of what we are tempted with come from this this problem right here. And so we ask that you speak to us, that you show us what it it means uh, to, to serve you and to not serve money. Open our eyes to your truth. Even as I speak, I pray that you continue to open my eyes to the truth that's right here and that you just give me the grace of speaking and uh, and sharing the fruit of this study. We ask, Lord, if there's anything that I say that is in my own authority or 
is not rooted in your scriptures. I ask that people just quickly forget that and that we walk out of here only, only remembering the things that are said which are true. Speak to us, Lord, if there's, if there's anyone among us that needs to be encouraged and comfort, comforted this morning, I ask that you do that. If there's anyone among us who's trusting in our own self-righteousness, I ask that you knock us out, uh, off of, uh, knock the pride out of us, that you remind us of our need of, for a Savior. And it's in his name, in the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. This past week, I, I woke up overwhelmed from uh, life. I had a dream, sort of in that, uh, that in-between state of being awake and asleep that we often sort of linger in in the mornings. I had this dream of being old and um, losing everything. Uh, having, having no money, uh, no retirement, nothing to live off of, uh, no job. And uh, so that, that dream, the stress of that dream literally just like woke me up. Does that ever happen to anybody? Like all of a sudden you're awake. And uh, the only thing you bring out of that dream is the overwhelming sense of craziness, the feeling that you had in the dream. Immediately when I woke up, I had that sense of, oh man, life. Stuff that's so quickly fading. Things that are so shaky. Jobs that are shaky. Money that's probably not going to be there in the future. What, what are we going to do? And then immediately in that state, my mind drifted to uh, this, this man that I know that, who lost his life the last two weeks ago. And I thought of the temporary nature of, of life. How easily things slip between our fingers. I wrote in my journal that morning as I considered just life and the pain, the pain of life, and the, the strain of ministry. I wrote in my journal, the pain around us is tremendous. And then I opened up uh, the Bible to the passage that I was going to be speaking on today, just to meditate on it a little bit that morning. And I read these words, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth where economies crash, where retirement plans are forgotten about, where 401ks are lost, where social security is dried up. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where you can run out of money. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where prices are always rising. Do not lay up for yourself tre yourselves treasures on earth where the bullet can destroy you and you can lose this life. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures where economies do not crash, where food does not spoil, where jobs are not lost where retirement plans are not needed. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It regularly, regularly um, fascinates me how this was spoken by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying through, about 2,000 years ago, and how relevant it is to life today. We live in a world and a culture here in the United States where the, the, the love of money and the things that we can, can get with money, so we love money because of what money can buy, right? And because of the assurance that it seems to give us the security. So the love of money and then everything that, that comes with that, the love of money and our desire to keep it, to live safely and securely, it competes 
with our allegiance to Jesus. The love of money competes in our culture with our allegiance to Jesus. We are surrounded by a culture that, that pulls us every day to the altar of stuff. That we may kneel down at that altar and worship things. Worship stuff. Worship houses. Worship lifestyles that other people have that we can't have. We live in a culture that demands that we worship things. It calls us to sacrifice our time. It calls us to sacrifice often our friends, sometimes even our families and our spouses and our children. And often it calls us to sacrifice our spiritual needs for more security, more safety, more things, more stuff, a bigger house, better house, bigger car, new shoes, a better retirement plan, etc. You can sort of fill in the blank. What those who find, uh, those those who rise to the top, those who in in our world, quote unquote, make it, and they have all of this stuff, we see them on TV, Those those who do really well in this world, what they find is this, they find that there's no real happiness in wealth. There's no real happiness in money. And, and proof of that, all we have to do is, is look at the news. We look at the news and we read the stories, we read the biographies, we watch the MTV specials, those who made it to the top and found that there was nothing there that they were searching for. There's no happiness in money. As a matter of fact, more stuff, more money, what it brings us is more anxiety. Because now we have more to lose. Next week we're going to be talking about anxiety. And I think you're going to see that it's interesting that Jesus put this money conversation right before the anxiety conversation. So in some ways these two sermons are a series in and of themselves. Money and anxiety. Now, what I want you to understand sort of as we, as we get into this uh, text today, as we talk about what it means to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, we are naturally, in this text, from this text, going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about giving to the church. What I want you to know is this. As we're going into this, this, this time of teaching today, I am not after your money. I'm after your joy. And I can only say that because I I think I'm seeing that right here in the text. So I want to broaden that, open that up. God, I believe, is not after your money. God is after your joy. And I think you'll see what I mean as we go through this. So let me direct your attention to these words in verse 20. If you look in your Bibles, chapter 6, verse 20. Lay up for yourselves, or store up for yourselves, treasures in heaven. Now what I want to do is take that line, store up or lay up, treasures in heaven. I want to take that and I want to break it into three chunks. So store up or lay up, storage. I want to talk about that, where we're storing our stuff. Treasures and then in heaven. And then I want to use each one of those as a main heading, if you would, for the three main sections of this text. So you guys kind of tracking where we're going to go? We're, we're zooming in on that phrase, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and we're breaking that down into three main headings to understand what Jesus is getting at here as he talks about our treasures in heaven. Verse 19, look at it with me. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now that word lay up right there literally means to gather together and to put into reserve. So I think store up or storage is a better word or a picture for us to use this morning that we're gathering things, we're storing things, and we're setting them into reserve for a time later. 
So don't set into reserve treasures, things on this earth. Why? What are the results of that? Well, in the ancient world, the treasures that they would have uh, would often be things like a garment, a, uh, an expensive garment, or m- maybe some coins. And this is long before Bank of America or BB&T ever showed up on the scene. And so if they were going to store up treasures on, in, on the earth in this original context, they would basically just have to hang on to their stuff. They would have to stick it away in a private place, uh, an expensive garment maybe that was half their worth. They would, they would stick it in their house somewhere and hide it. What Jesus is saying is the results of storing up things in this earth and on this earth, the results are not good. So what like self-respecting moth would not love to get into that expensive garment that is worth half of your life? Or we bury things in the ground. So before BB&T, before Bank of America, if you had some coins, if you had some valuables, some gold, what you would do is dig a hole, stick it in the ground, wrap it up with, in various materials and hope for the best. Now, as you can imagine, often they would dig it out, and what I found as a child after I I buried a lunchbox with a bunch of stuff in it, and notes and different things, money, I think, and we we dug it out about four years later, and it wasn't a pretty sight. Um, Just destroyed. Corrosion. That's what he's talking about here, where rust destroys, corrosion destroys things eat away at your stuff in this world or he says where thieves break in and steal so in the ancient world if you were lucky enough to keep your stuff in the ground and keep that garment from getting the moths getting to it uh, these these houses were made of mud mud brick and so literally the, the word here is dig in thieves could very easily dig into your house and steal your stuff. Thievery was a big, major problem in the first century. So put yourself for just a moment into the first century. Think of your possessions in this way. Jesus is saying, look, don't stick stuff in the ground. Don't put your treasures there. Don't, don't, don't store your treasures in the closet. As a matter of fact, don't even store your treasures in your house because thieves can still get in and steal them. You're storing your treasures on, in on, on, Uh, very shakable foundations. Now what Jesus is getting at here is this. He's saying, I'm after your joy. I'm after your joy. Like, there is no joy in storing something in the ground and then going to retrieve it later and finding that it's destroyed. There's no joy in storing something that the moths get get into or something that the thieves get at. There's no joy in placing your treasures in this earth and then losing them. So this is where I get this idea that I think God is after not just our money, trying to get money from us. He's after our joy. He's saying, look, there is no joy in long-term, over time, storing things in this world. You're going to lose it. And as a matter of fact, if, if we live a life that is secure, and we are able to, let's say, save for retirement, and we can, we can live a long life here in this, this world and, and die with a lot of stuff. What do we take with us beyond the grave? The ancient Egyptians believed that pharaohs could take their treasures with them, and so, as we've talked about before, King Tut, when he was buried, he was buried with all of his stuff, all of his treasures. And then some years later, when they found King Tut's tomb, they opened it up, and what did they find? They found all of his stuff. Was King Tut there? No, surprisingly, he didn't take his stuff with him, like they thought. I've never known someone to take their car with them into the next life, to take their clothes with them into the next life, to take their job with them into the next life. I've never known someone to take man's praise with them into the next life. Their popularity, their beauty, their youth, As a matter of fact, when we die, someone else takes our stuff. Other than the clothes that maybe we're buried with, our body is buried with, someone else wears your clothes. It's given to goodwill. And then some dude gets a kick out of wearing your granddad's clothes, right? I look incredible. 
Someone else takes your stuff, drives your car. Someone else marries your wife. Someone else lives in your house. Friends, we don't take anything with us beyond this world. What do we take with us? What Jesus is saying is, look, I'm after your joy. And I want you, to, I want you just to like, see what we all know to be true. If, if we build up treasures in this world, it's very, very possible that we will lose them before death. But even if we don't, consider the, the, the shaking foundation that we are building our treasures on. There's no joy in that. Better idea, verse 20, look at it. But lay up for yourselves instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that's sort of our key phrase for this sermon. Lay up for yourselves, store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants us to store up our stuff, store up our treasures in a place that is a little more permanent. It's, it's the perishable versus the imperishable. It's, it's placing our treasures in, in, in a storage location that has an expiration date versus placing our treasures in a storage location with no expiration date. Jesus says, look, you would be better off living your life, storing up treasures in heaven because moths can't get to your stuff there. The rust, the, the, the corrosion that you'll receive from burying your stuff in the ground, you, you won't find that there. Social security won't dry up there. Retirement plans, you won't lose them there. Your houses, your apartments. So store up your, your stuff in a place that's going to last, in a place that's permanent, the temporal versus the eternal. The, re- the reality is this. If, if we place our, our treasures and we store our treasures in this earth and we lose our house, we, we lose our retirement, we, 401k, you lose your job, you lose your family, maybe to death, the reality is this, the, the, the loss still hurts. I mean, it's still, any, any kind of loss in this world, guys, it should hurt. I mean, we are human, and we were not created to lose things, and so when we do lose something, when something is stolen, or a friend dies, or we lose a family member, those things still, they, they hurt, and they should hurt, and if they don't hurt you, if you say, oh, I'm so spiritual, like these things don't even bother me when I lose them, well, then you're not really even human anymore. Like you were created to not lose things, and so naturally things hurt when we lose them. What he's getting at, though, is this. Where you're treasure is, there is your heart. So the reality is this, we can lose things in this world, we can lose our house, we can lose our jobs, our families, and it will hurt, but we won't lose our heart. So if we store up our treasures in heaven, then we can lose everything on this earth and we keep that which is most important, our souls the seat of our emotions, our very being, our hearts. Now, if the location of your storage changes, so if the location of, of your storage is not of this world, it's not in Bank of America or in your house, if the location has changed to heaven, so it's now no longer temporal, it's no longer something that you can touch and feel, but it's something that's immaterial, what that also now means is that what we call our treasures changes as well. So now when we use the word treasures, we're talking about something that's entirely different. So let's get into that. What does it mean when Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven? This demands that we rethink what we treasure. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. The eye, he says, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. 
the rabbis in the ancient world would refer to the eyes uh, as um, sort of the, the, the gaze of the soul, if you would. What your soul, what your being is looking at. And so then the, the rabbis would say that the person who's overwhelmed with greed, the person who's like worshiping at the altar of greed as opposed to the altar of God, they would say that that person has bad sight. They're not, they're not seeing things correctly. So the analogy I think that Jesus is getting at here, and, and actually Paul, uh, right before Christmas, I think, or right around Christmas, went, had a whole sermon on this. You can find it online. But I think the analogy that Jesus is getting at here is this. It's, it's capped with talking about money, and so there's certainly a money theme to this. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the body in, in such a way that refers to not just our physical material bodies, like, for instance, in chapter 5, verse 30, he says that you should cut off one of the members of your body because it's better to lose one member than your whole body to be cast in hell. So Jesus is refer, always refers or often refers to the body as uh, this, this bigger sort of spiritual side of who you are. Another word we could use is the soul, our spiritual bodies, our spiritual beings, who we really are. And so if, if the body then is the soul, then the eyes refer to whatever it is that the soul, who you really are, your, your being, whatever it is that your soul is looking at, whatever it is that your soul is gazing upon. So what I think Jesus is saying here is this. What does, or I think this is the question he's asking, what does your soul gaze upon? And what your soul gazes upon is what your treasure is. So then if our soul gazes upon the temporal, then that becomes our treasure. Now, this is hugely important for us today because we are taught that the temporal things are most important and most valuable in this life. As an example, we often use this phrase, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What, is that, what does that mean? Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What it means is this is extremely temporal. Therefore, it's more valuable. Do you guys see this? Like in the world that we live in, the more temporal something is, the more value we attach to it. So then what we tend to do is we say, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a small window here to get this. This is temporal, high value. We overvalue things that are temporal. And in doing so, what do we do? We then undervalue things which are eternal. So things like heaven, for instance. Well, that's going to be there forever and ever and ever. That's not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so we undervalue the eternal while we overvalue the temporal. This is what we're taught. This is how we build up our lives. And so then, as a natural, sort of in our natural state as human beings, what we do is we gaze upon the temporal things. We hear once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and we're like, we want that. It's very temporal. We look at things that are passing, and we say, man, I just want to relish in that before it's gone. We gaze upon the temporal. We gaze upon the things that we want in this temporal world, our houses, our cars, our money, etc., and we undervalue the things of God, the things which will last forever. What Jesus is saying here is this. If we gaze upon temporal things, we gaze upon earthly things, storing up treasures in earth, not only is it a bad idea. So we've already grounded the fact that it's a bad idea. He's saying not only is it a bad idea, but it actually leaves your soul dark. You are completely dark. Like, it's, it's not just a bad idea. Like, this is an eternally bad idea. You are placing your hope, your values, your gaze, your sight upon things which are fading. And when you stand before God after death, you stand before the judge, will your house be there for you to stand as your attorney and say, hey, yeah, he's good to go? Will your, will your money be there? Will your stuff be there, your popularity, your beauty? Look, this, this, this has like eternal ramifications to what we're talking about. We, we, are, we are people 
We are souls walking on a foundation that is about to crumble. We are walking in a world that is quickly fading. We're not talking just about the next couple years. We're talking about our, our, our eternity. What do you gaze upon? Is your gaze, is your sight upon things that are passing and you can care less about the things that are eternal? Jesus wants us to gaze upon eternal things. He wants us to say to our stuff, to say to our treasures, you don't own me. You come in second. Um, what, is, what is the point of tithing? Something we talk about, something occasionally we do. <laughs> right? What is the point of tithing? Why did, the, why did God... Uh, command the Old Testament saints very clearly to give a 10% of everything that they made. So if they made $10, give a dollar. If they made $100, give, give $10. What is the point? Here's, here, here it is. I mean, we're seeing it right here. The point of, of tithing, the reason that God would want us to give from the first 10% of whatever it is that we make, the reason that God would want us to give in that, in, that, in that way, it's a statement that we are making about what is important to us. It's a statement that we are making about what our sight is set on. It's a statement about what the things that we're gazing upon. So I can think of four, off the top of my head, probably we can think of a lot more, four things that tithing says to our stuff and to the people around us. What it says is this. Number one, it says that money is not my God. Money is not my God. Meaning this, if what, whatever is your God, you keep most closely to you. So we're not going to just like give our God away. Not in that sense. We want to keep our God. We don't want to lose it. Now, money, more than anything in our society today, demands that we worship it, demands that we bow down to its altar. Because through money, we find needs met, we find the food that we need, we, we find the money that we need to pay our rent. I mean, money makes the world go round, amen? It's true. And so because of that, it demands our worship. It demands that we turn it into some kind of deity, even though we, we don't call it that. And so then, in our natural state, we get money and we want to hang on to it. We want to use it for our own benefit. Now, the, the very best way that we can tell our money that it does not own us and that it's not our God is as we get it, the first thing we do with the first bit of it is we just give it away. You're not my God. You're not my God. You don't control me. So it, it says that money is not our God. Number two, it says that, that we give God our first and our best. So in the Old Testament, as they were commanded to tithe, they were commanded to give the first fruits to God, which meant it was the, the best fruits. What is, it, what is that saying? What it's saying is, is, is that the, 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 the quality and the value of what we have, is it, it comes in second to God. And so we give the first and the best to God as opposed to us keeping the first and best and then giving to God out of our increase. We give the first and best to God. Number three, it says that I'm trusting in God, not in money. The world trusts in money. It's all the world has to trust in. But what we're saying is we trust in God to meet our needs. And I could tell you story after story, we don't have time for that, of, of people who, who gave generously in various settings to various needs and causes, trusting that God will meet their needs. And God meets our needs. God takes care of us. And what we're saying every time we give money away is what we're saying is, is I trust in God. 
I trust that God will meet my needs. Number four, it says, giving says that I have found my treasure. I'm gazing upon something else. I'm not gazing upon the temporary. I'm not gazing upon the things that I, I can buy with money in this world. I'm gazing upon something else. I found my treasure. Look, tithing, I think, is one of the most countercultural things that Christians do. I mean, where else do we see a, 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 a people, a, a family, who every time they, they get some money, which we most treasure in this world, every time they get some, they, they give the first bit away. It's the most countercultural thing we're, do, we're doing. And what we're saying is this, this is not my treasure. I'm not storing up treasures in this earth. The things that money can buy me are quickly fading. I have found a treasure elsewhere. It's a statement about what we treasure, what we love most dearly, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, should we tithe today? Some people say that tithing is an Old Testament principle and uh, no longer needed today. And I think the answer is, is, is simple. It's true that nowhere in the New Testament does it directly say you should tithe or give 10% of your income. The Old Testament saints, however, they gave uh, out of a faith in what was to come. So the Old Testament saints, as they gave and they trusted God with their resources, they trusted God with their income, with their money, with their corn or whatever it is that they were growing, with their stuff, they said, you're going to provide for us as they did these acts, they were, they were giving uh, in faith of what was to come. Christ, who was to come, who had not yet come. They had not yet known this, this wonder of the resurrection. And so here Jesus comes into this earth. He lives. He dies for us. We see now as he rises from the dead, we see the fullness of the gospel. We see that God has come. He has revealed himself to us. He has saved us apart from our works. He's brought us into his family. He has said through Christ that I will take care of you. So then let's give 3%. It just doesn't make sense, does it? So the, the New Testament principle is always this. How much more so? Now that we have seen the fullness of the gospel, now that we have seen the beauty and the wonder of Christ in this world and the, the hope of the resurrection, how much more so can we trust this God to provide us? 10% would merely be a starting point for New Testament believers, living with the sight of the resurrection and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And when we look at uh, statistics in the American church, I think we need to all humbly agree that we need to reevaluate our gaze. We need to reevaluate the things that we are looking at, our sight, what our eyes are staring, on, staring, staring upon. A couple statistics. Uh, most Christians agree that God wants them to give regularly. Most Christians agree that God actually wants them to give 10% of their income. However, statistically, less than 10% do. Uh, some statistics say that that, that number is actually 5% of Christians give uh, a tithe. The average Christian gives 3% of their income away every year, while the majority of Christians claim to tithe. This, this simply means this. It doesn't mean that we don't want to be generous people. It doesn't mean that we don't want to, to give uh, to, to the proclamation of the gospel, to the work of the local church, to support the poor, to help the needy, to support missions doesn't mean that we don't believe that and, and want that. What it means is this. It means that we, we tend to gaze on the wrong things. We tend to have our sight fixed in the moment on something that is very temporary. So, for, for example, uh, in 2007, Christians gave about $40 uh, billion to the work of the local church, which sounds like a lot of money at first, and then we, 
read down, they gave $43 billion uh, to the pet industry for their pets, their dogs and their cats. Just to kind of put it into perspective, we spend more money taking care of our pets, generally speaking, than we do promoting and supporting the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, what it, what it simply means is this. We, we're, we're looking at the wrong things. When we get some extra income, what is, what is our first thought? Is it, is it oh my, my goodness, I can buy something that's temporal? I can get the thing that I want? Or is our first thought, are there any spiritual needs out there? Are there any ways that I can use this for the building of God's kingdom? We're gazing on the temporal things as opposed to gazing upon the eternal things. We need to shift the things that we're looking at. On what does your soul gaze this morning? Are you looking at stuff? Like, what, what are you dreaming about? If you get an, uh, some extra money, what, do you, what are your plans? Like, what are, you, what are your sights fixed upon? What are your hopes? What are your goals? What are your dreams in life? Are you gazing upon stuff? Or are you gazing upon the hope of hearing that sort of chain-rattling, setting free of, of, of sinners, setting free of people who have been chained and captive and on their way to, to their death, to their spiritual death? Are, are, are we gazing upon the reality that we just might be able to see wonderful things happen for the kingdom of God in our lifetime, that God might use us to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and to support that, to see more of that, to see the reign of Christ spread throughout this neighborhood, this, this city, this world. What are we gazing on? And here is the wonder of it all. Kind of going back to one of the early things I said, God is not just after your money. He's not just after your 10%, all right? So as an example, um, it's very possible to have somebody who gives 10%, uh, maybe 20% of their income, and they're, they're doing a lot of generous deeds. Their focus, though, is self-righteous justification, meaning if I give my 10% or if I do my thing or I hear people say things like pay my tithes, if I do these religious deeds, then in some way God will bless me, that God will hook me up, that God will grant me into eternal life. That's, that's not the point at all. This isn't just about us giving. This isn't just about some religious action that we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, do you guys know the story where Jesus is confronting the, re, the, the rich young man? And he tells the rich young man, he says, hey, if you want to enter into the kingdom, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now those of us radicals, we like to use that and say, see, so everybody should sell everything and give it to the poor, Right? So if Donald Trump were to become a Christian, he should sell everything and give it to the poor. Is that what that's saying? This, this stuck out to me the other day. The disciples respond to that. So Jesus says, rich young man, sell everything, give it to the poor. The disciples respond, who were not rich, by the way. The disciples say, who then can get into heaven? Who then can get into heaven? Now, listen, the disciples weren't rich people, yet they still responded, who then can get into heaven? Why? It's because the disciples knew that Jesus wasn't just talking about legalistic principles of giving a certain amount of money or tithing or whatever. Jesus was referring there not to just the action. He was referring to the state of the heart. He was referring to the state of the heart. And that's what the disciples saw. We have to have a heart that is completely bent on Christ. We have to have a heart that's completely looking toward and gazing upon God. And the disciples look at that and they say, wow, who then can get into heaven? And the response with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The wonder of all of this is this. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't, we don't, we don't give out of our, 
uh, out of our income because God needs it. God's not sitting up in heaven just sort of wringing his hands thinking, oh man, like if all of these Christians were to start tithing, I could really get some things done out, down there on this earth. You know, maybe I could do something about, about all of the world that needs the gospel. No, God doesn't need our money in that sense. I mean, if God just needed our 10% or he needed your 10%, you know what he would do? He would just drop your income 90% and he wouldn't trust you with it and he would take it, all right, and he would just drop that money wherever he wanted to do it. I mean, he could, he could easily do it. He could easily just sort of mysteriously put money in envelopes and send it to the places that he wanted to send it. God doesn't need our money in that sense. What he does is this. God in his sovereignty chose to use his children, us, brothers and sisters, to use his people to funnel resources through for the sake of ministry, for the spread of the gospel, for the relief of the poor, to help those in need. God has, in his sovereignty, chosen to use us as channels and vessels to, cha- to, to put channel resources through. Why? It's because he's not just after our money. He's after our joy. You see, when we, when we, when we take our eyes off of the temporal things and we give of our temporal things, and we meet needs, we love our neighbor, we support the work of the local church, we support missionaries, we, 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 we uh, give to our family that's in need. When we, when, we, when we give, when we can give and we do, what we find there is joy that money cannot buy. And what God is also doing is this. He's giving us the opportunity to tell material things, you don't own me. You are not my God. You are second to the eternal needs of the kingdom of God. Through our giving, God in his sovereignty has chosen to, to, to use us to unleash ministry, to unleash the, 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 the powers of the kingdom of God through the, through the support of the gospel, through loving our neighbors. And that's exciting. And that's joyful. To, God has given us the opportunity to participate in his mission. God is not after your money. He's after your joy. So let's look at this last phrase, what then is treasures in heaven? What does, that, what does that actually mean? Lay up for yourselves, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how then do we do this? How do we store treasures in heaven? How do we take our stuff, if you would, our, 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 the things that we're gazing upon, and somehow stick it in heaven? How do we do that? What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? First, let's talk about what it does not mean. What it does not mean is this. It does not mean that when we give of our temporal things, when we give, that we receive an immediate kickback. It does not mean that if, if you give $10 to me, then you're going to get $10 right back from God. It doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, to be motivated with, with that as our goal, so if I give generously, then God in some way is going to give back the, either the same amount or more, when we give with that as our motivation, I, we're ironically committing the same sin. Because what we're doing is we're saying this. We, our, our sight is still fixed on temporal things. I will temporarily give of my temporary things only to get a kickback from God of more temporal things. As if God is some kind of magical investment company. No, Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he said this. He said, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving money is the illusion that earth is home. I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent is the illusion that earth is home. Let's talk about that. Verse 24, if you look at it with me. 
verse 24, and he's, Jesus says this, nobody can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus seems to believe that our problem is, is serving money rather than God saying, this world is our home, this earth is our home, therefore I must serve the things that can provide for me in this world. Our problem is that we are serving money rather than God. And Jesus is saying this, the word, the word he uses is master, which, which by definition requires total service. You cannot have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. When I was a kid, I, when, we, when we would play football in the neighborhood, I loved playing all-day quarterback. Uh, for those of you that didn't grow up playing football, um, all-day quarterback was when you like, played for both teams, right? Is anybody tracking with me here? All right, good, good. So you throw the football for both teams, all right? I loved playing all-day QB because at the end of the game, I would win every time. And sure, you could say, well, you would lose too. Yeah, but that, do that doesn't matter. I won. I was on the winning team, and I would celebrate with the winning team. All-day QB, man, is like the way to go. So if you guys ever play some pickup football, play all-day QB. Here's the, here's the problem, and I think this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, we try to play all-day QB with God. Like, we want to play on both teams. I mean, we want to have God as our God. We want to go to church, and we want to be part of this thing, and we want to pray, and we want to have, have the goodness of God, because, like, most likely God's going to win, and, and I, want to, I want to be there. I, want to, I mean, it's a pretty good investment on my end. If God wins, I want to win. However, during this life, we say, but we also want to play on the other team. We also want to play for money. Because if God doesn't come through, I mean, if, if, if he fails to provide for my needs in the way that he's promised that he would, if he doesn't come through with me, if he, if he fails to provide the kind of joy in my life that I think I need, I need to have this other team as a backup just in case. And Jesus is saying that doesn't make sense. We can't do that. Your master requires total service of you, and as soon as we begin to allow ourselves to serve money, we take our eyes off of the eternal. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot play on two teams. And God is looking at you, trying to play all day QB, and he's saying, you've got to decide which team you're on. Eternal or Temporary. What, is it, what does it then look like to store up treasures in heaven? The writer of Hebrews gives us a phenomenal picture from biblical history of what this looks like, to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me, if you have your Bibles, if you're new to the Bible, it's toward the back of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 we see this, this whole list of people who had great faith in the unseen. They had faith in this coming Christ. And then he gets down to verse 8 and he starts talking about Abraham and the faith that Abraham had. And in verse 9, I want you to see this. This is what Abraham did by faith. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Everybody say foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So here is a man, okay, of promise. Like God has said, you are going to be wealthier than you can imagine. You're going to have more children that you can, than you can imagine. And where does he find himself? Living in a tent in a land as a foreigner. Now how can that be? How can he wake up every morning saying, look, I'm a person of promise, 
I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into God's family. I have this great inheritance that God has provided for me and, 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 and promised me. I'm not seeing it right now. I'm, I'm living as a foreigner in a strange land in a tent. How can, how can Abraham wake up every morning and keep going? Look at verse 10. We see his motivation. It gives us very clearly his motivation. It says this, for. That's an important word. This is like... This is, this, is, this is his coming motivation. This is what enables him to do what he's doing. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham got up every day in a tent, living as a foreigner in a strange land, and his motivation every morning as he woke up was this. I'm a citizen of a coming city, a better country, a city that has foundations, a city that is unshakable. The author of Hebrews then goes on in chapter 11, and he talks about others. In verse 36, he says there were others who suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and in goatskin, destitute and afflicted and mistreated. And then in verse 38, he says, of these people, the world was not even worthy of them. Like these were people moving through this earth as pilgrims, as foreigners, who are not just living in a tent, but these people were being so... uh, they were, they were being sawn in two pieces, okay? They, they had chains. They were living as prisoners. And he says the, the temporal things around them wasn't even worthy of them. It couldn't even contain them. And then he, like a wedge, sort of culminates all of this. Let's look at chapter 13. Skip over a page with me. Chapter 13, verse 14. He says, For here we have... No lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We have no lasting city here. It's fading, but we're seeking the city that is to come. So here's Abraham living as a foreigner in a land, the man of promise with his children of promise, living in tents, walking through this earth. His eyes firmly focused on the city that is to come, that better country. And then there are others who are sawn in two, destitute, the one about chained in life, imprisoned. The world's not even worthy of them. Therefore, he says, let us go to Christ. Let us run outside of the gates of comfort, outside of the, 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 these barriers that we place in our lives and say, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to live our life. This is safe. This is comfortable. He says, go outside of the gates where it's dangerous, where it's dark, where it's cold. Why? Because Christ is there. And our city is being founded on Christ. And so let's, let us run to Him in this life with our eyes firmly focused on that better country. And then all of that, okay, like a wedge. Imagine the weight of a wedge coming down on this one point. Look at verse 16. He says this. Culminates it all. He says this. Do not then neglect to do good, and to share what you have. He immediately then moves to the temporal. So we have this great, eternal, big city, better country that is to come. And all of those who have gone before us have had their eyes firmly fixed on that city. So what do we do with the temporal things? Let us share. Let us share. They're no longer our treasures. They are no longer our God. To store up treasures in heaven then is this. It's to live with heaven as our home. And to be generous. To give of our temporal things for the sake of Christ, for the promotion of the gospel of Christ, for the building of His kingdom, rather than storing them up, accumulating them, and keeping them. 
We live then as foreigners. We live as pilgrims passing through. And yes, we build homes here. We seek the welfare of this city. We love our neighbors. But our eyes are fixed on something far beyond. Friends, when, when, when we hear of pain, when we hear of brokenness, danger, What is that what is that well up in us? When we hear of risk, what kind of feelings does that well up in us? You see, the, the world runs from these things pain, world, uh, brokenness, risk. Because all the world has is what we can see and what we can touch, the temporal things. But we, as citizens of the kingdom of God, when we hear of pain and we hear of brokenness and we see places where that's going to be risky for us to go and to proclaim the good news, when we see and we hear these things, it does the opposite for us. We actually run outside of the gates to the darkness, to the cold, because we want to stand up in the middle of all that and proclaim the treasures that we have found, to stand up in the midst of suffering, the midst of pain, the midst of danger, and to cry out, turn to Christ, look to Christ for your salvation. There is a treasure beyond this world. You might say something like this. You might say, at the end of the day, I, I, I want to pay my bills. I've got to pay my, I have bills to pay. I mean, God gives us temporal things to meet our physical needs. Yes, and yes, and yes. I want to save some money for retirement, and that's a good thing, so that way you can still be generous as an old person. I want to save for my kids' education. But you might say this, what I really want, I mean, what my, what my gaze is fixed on, what my sights are set on, what my heart longs for is to see that crucified and risen lamb. To see that, that, that moment where that lamb walks into the middle of that crowd and the angels just drop on their face and all the creatures of the world drop on their face and they proclaim, worthy is the lamb, worthy to receive honor and glory forever and ever and ever. That's like, that's my gaze right there. That's what I want. I want that lamb to be lifted up in the midst of darkness, in the hardest places in this world. And as far as my future goes, I trust in God. You might say this. You might say this. You, you might say, what I want for my kids. Like when I think about my kids growing old, maybe the kids that I don't yet have. What I want for my kids, I want them to get a college degree. I want them to get a good job. But most of all, what I want for them is that they will proclaim and promote that lamb who was bloodied for us on our behalf so that we may be saved. And if God were to call them to some of the darkest places on this earth and the most dangerous places to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if they lost their life there at a young age, I want to be able to say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy. Like he, he's worthy. He's worth it. He's worth us giving all that we have for his sake. He's worth it to receive all of our honor, all of our glory, all of our money, all of our stuff, all of our kids and our family and our house. He's worth everything that we have. Worthy is the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. We are pilgrims on a journey. And we are pilgrims along with all of these other saints, some of whom were sawn in two. And we are on the same mission with our eyes focused on the same kingdom and the same city that has foundations in Jesus Christ. Listen, as far as like the practical piece of all of this, do I want you to give to the church? Of course I do. Do I want you to care about the, the ministry in, in Baltimore the proclamation of the gospel? Of course I do. Do I want you to support missionaries? Of course I do. Do I want you to help the poor, support the, the, the needy? Of course I do. Do I want you to love your neighbor? Yes. But at the end of the day, guys, what I want you to hear is this. We're not just talking about religious duties. 
We're not just talking about religious actions. We're talking about a heart that's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have new eyes to see a new reality. I want you to give not just a piece of who you are. I want you to give your whole being to this Messiah, to this Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to die for Christ. Maybe physically. Like maybe some of you will physically die for Christ. Maybe not physically. Maybe you will die to your, your, your longing for the temporal. You will die to your idolatry of stuff, to the, to the, to, to the love for things, the fleshly worship of more things, your selfish cravings, that we die to these things, that we run outside of the gates of comfort, that we run to him who is outside of the gates, and that we wake up every morning and realize that we are one day closer to that better country. We wake up every morning and we realize that we just moved our tent a little bit closer to the city that has foundations. We live our lives as pilgrims looking forward to our new kingdom that we are part of. Not because of works that we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. It's because of Christ. It's because of this lamb who was sacrificed for us. We have then been bought as, as, as children of God, adopted into his family. We are citizens of this new land. Let us live here in this world, in this temporal fading world. Let us live here with our gaze firmly focused on on Christ. And may our generosity and the stewardship of the temporal resources that we have reflect that reality. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the fact that you are, have not called us to simply, uh, to simple religious duty. You haven't called us just to, uh, to give a certain portion of our money or, or our time or our resources and then in doing so, with the hopes that maybe we'll be accepted in your sight. God, we thank you for the fact that you have opened our eyes up to the fact that we are sinners, that we are completely broken, that we are in need of a Savior, and that it was his generosity as he poured out his own life for us on the cross that we have salvation. God, I pray that we live with that reality in mind the way that we, we handle our stuff on this earth, the way that we use our finances, the way that we love others, the way that we support the work of this church and other ministries, places where the gospel is being promoted. God, I pray that it simply reflects the reality that we have been bought into. Citizens of a better country, a city with foundations, and it's in the name of our King Jesus that we pray. Amen.